again, everybody. This is John Norris at Trading Perspectives. As always, we have our very good friend, Sam Clements. Sam, say hello. John, how's it going? I'm doing fantastic. Sam, you know it's my birthday today. I do. And so I'm having a wonderful day. It's a pretty day so far here in the Magic City, but I understand the weather's going to be ugly the remainder of the weekend. But you're turning 40, is it? <laughs> That's right. I am turning 44 <laughs> some some number of times. I, <laughs> certainly, certainly a number of times later on. But I mentioned all that, and you're talking about the lousy weather, because a lot of people think that lousy weather is here to stay. Not necessarily just rain, but higher temperatures, uh, more severe storms than normal. There's supposed to be maybe some severe storms over the weekend, perhaps some tornado uh, or t- tornadic activity. All this type of stuff. And so what I wanted to talk today, uh, talk about today was really climate change. You know, climate change, you know, we're getting warmer, what have you, and talk a little bit and then ultimately get into a discussion, Sam, of what you might and what I might, but you as a millennial or Gen Z, uh, does Gen Z still part of the millennials? I, I um, guess. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lump you in with that. What younger generations would give up to combat climate change. And same, unfortunately, you can't say no such thing. Yeah, you, well, you, you have I, to come I, up with something. I see all the eggshells from here towards the end of the podcast <laughs> that we'll try, and, we'll try and avoid. You have to come up with something. You can't come back, come back with a purely libertarian capitalist no. Free market. <laughs> Free market. You can't. You have to. What would you realistic, realis, realistically give up? And part of why I thought this would be interesting. Obviously, we've read a lot about in the uh, paper, media, online, what have you, about Green New Deal and and climate change and some more progressive members of the Democratic Party asking bank CEOs what they you know what sure. their climate change policy is. But more than that, what I have, I, I think everyone who does what we do for a living has found very interesting this week is beyond me. You know, yeah. that, that company. I mean, for those who know it, the uh, veggie burger, I mean, it's just a non meat version <laughs> yeah. of a burger, any other meat sausages, I think. But, but yeah, IPO, wild price swings. I mean, how much did it go up? I mean, some I mean, ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's just wild to imagine. I mean, all these IPOs, we've started to see just crazy moves in some of these companies that really it's hard to back up that valuation they have. <laughs> I mean, by in, by any it's measure, a, that's hard to. It's impossible. Yeah. To. Um, and for those of you that don't know Beyond Meat, I mean, Sam just did a very good kind of cursory review of it, but it's a company that makes veggie burgers. I mean, for for lack of a non meat meat non meat meat not growing it in the lab, I and mean, that's down the road a little bit. This the, this company takes. P protein, PEA protein, amongst uh, other things, <laughs> some soy protein and what have you, and creates these patties. They add some other, you know, other flavor enhancers and what have you. And by by all accounts, uh, it tastes very much like meat. And yeah. It has the same chew, I think, is the the verb or the adjective people get. The net whatever has the same chew as a ground chuck patty. I'm, I'm going to take you. people's word for that. I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to venture into the Beyond Meat burgers. But I did see, I think it was Burger King that's selling them now. Well, they had something called the Impossible. That's it. Yeah. And apparently those things were flying off the shelves like hotcakes, which, uh, interestingly enough, is a non-meat product. <laughs> You're right. Pancakes do not have they, meat. They, they barely elicited even a smile from Sam. Uh, <laughs> but the reason why this is interesting is because not just you know for vegans and vegetarians, and what have you is I have read some articles about what this could do if we move to more and more a plant-based protein diet what this would mean for the overall climate uh, the global climate and 
and you might have a question mark right there go what are you talking about well obviously if we're eating plant-based proteins we don't need animal-based proteins right and animal-based proteins particularly beef cattle and and to a lesser degree and certainly in some countries uh sheep um but they, they they demand a lot of resources. They expel a lot of waste, and a lot of people. And uh, talking about just the overall rise in the number of cattle throughout the world has had a very detrimental impact right. on the climate. And it's not just the methane, you know, the, the the waste, the excrement, the effluent, whatever you want to call it, but it's also the sheer amount of land that is being used to um, support bovines. Uh, of all types. So if more and more people, and it's not just Americans, but around the world, ad- adapt a vegetarian or vegan lifestyle, then we'd have less resources going towards the growing of and ultimately uh, producing production of animal protein. So here we have it. I told you a little bit about Beyond Meat and why this could be important for climate change. I am now going to ask Sam the question. I mean, I'll put it bluntly. I think it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> what would you be willing to give up to combat individually climate change? And it sounds like right now you would not be willing to give up a good old juicy hammer. No, and I don't think it really helps much either. I think a lot of the animals that are um, being killed and slaughtered, a lot of it is on lands that are otherwise not farmable. Um, meat is the best source of protein there is. There are certain vitamins and um, nutrients that you can't get from other plant-based diets and sustainably raised pork, beef, chicken, all that, um, actually can come out net neutral in carbon emissions. So I think it's ridiculous to just try and cut out meat. So go, go ahead and put that out there. Sam seems pretty passionate about this. I will not give up my burger. It's my steak. <laughs> and my general take on that is I I've, I've certainly hear what Sam's saying. Um, right now, I just, I'll cut to the quick. Beyond Meat is selling for, what was it, about $16 a pound? Yeah, Something probably like around there. You get two four ounce patties for like eight dollars online. Uh, so obviously that translates into about sixteen dollars a pound um, on Tuesday nights across the street at the Fresh Market. And as we both know very as we well, both know, uh, what does the Fresh Market across the street sell on Tuesdays? Two ninety nine chicken and chuck, and chuck being ground chuck. So if I'm a family of three, four, five, however many. And I'm looking at an animal protein of $16 a pound or an animal protein of $2.99 a pound, and it produces roughly the same product. Yeah. What am I going to opt for? Probably just about every time. Probably the one that I would say is better tasting being the ground chuck. And also significantly less expensive. Yeah. I would imagine. Now, there would be some people out there that would uh, buy the Beyond Meat film principle and what have you and eventually drive down the price of it. But even so, there is an acceptable substitute for Beyond Meat. Yeah, for, for most people. For, for most people. And then, you know, obviously moving forward, um, what we have seen is the increase in cattle and just animals in general right. throughout the world, not only due to population size. Let's face it, we've just more people walking around, more people demanding protein. But also, as countries get wealthier, they also demand more animal protein. Right. So we in the United States can feel very good about ourselves and feel as though we're holier than thou. Maybe, maybe sanctimonious, although no one ever wants to admit sanctimony in themselves. It's always in someone else. Uh, how we have, you know, have adopted a more vegetarian lifestyle, what have you. Yeah. Um, however, trying to force the Chinese and to a lesser degree the Indians and just the remainder of the emerging market saying you have to adopt our vegetarianism after a while in order to combat uh, climate change. I think that's a hard sell. Yeah. I mean, everybody has certain price points of things they're willing to give up at a grocery store. I mean, um, I'd like to eat grass-fed beef every time, every time I make burgers, yeah. steaks, whatever. But, 
you know, that cost benefit analysis isn't always there. It's not always worth doing that thing that I'd kind of rather have, but much, much more expensive. It, it doesn't end up being worth it to me. Um, and on another note, beef is actually, I mean, people think um, cows are one of the worst polluters in terms of animals, but if you put They're it, delicious. but if you put it in terms of, um, <laughs> in a per pound of meat produced, yeah. Um, statistic, it ends up being a lot better. Chickens are actually way worse than... Really? Um, yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. Um, and less nutritious. Well, I will tell you, this is a complete aside. I had not planned on even making this comment uh, until just now. Uh, I would say that uh, the most expensive form of protein, there's three very expensive forms of protein. One is venison. Yeah. Another one is quail meat. <laughs> and the third is red snapper. Amount <laughs> 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 of money that hunters and outdoors people uh, go, go to to raise or produce these or have this, it, it makes it very expensive protein. Right. Uh, but the reason why we, we seem like we're hammering on animal protein, but that's just one of the um, one of the key things that people suggest that we should give up as consumers in order to help combat climate change. Another one, Sam, is would you be willing to cut back or eliminate, to the best of your ability, air travel? No. And so, why would that be? I like traveling. Um, it's kind of it. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, not gonna... I, actually, I think traveling to Europe would be very difficult from Alabama without yeah. the... Yeah, uh, those trains. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be struggle building railroad tracks. Now, I would tell you with this, um, air, air, reduction in air travel may or may not happen. It probably has more to do with the cost of a ticket or, or regulations or something like yeah. that. Uh, but most people aren't consuming air travel just willy-nilly, I mean, yeah. truthfully. Uh, most people, if they can drive in a reasonable amount of time, will drive. Or if they can take a train, they'll take a train because air travel is a little bit of a pain in the neck. Yeah, I mean, truthfully. And it's expensive. And it's expensive for the most part. Maybe Ryanair or something like that. It makes it more affordable. But even so, it'd be difficult to get from Dublin or the Shannon Airport uh, to France without you know using either a slower boat or a faster plane. Yeah, it would be difficult. It'd be very difficult to do so. So when people say reduce your your air travel, I'm going. I don't travel by air all that much. And then you you know some people would say we need need to make more trains. I'm going. Well, gee whiz, in sparsely populated areas with places with low population density, the economic analysis or the cost benefit analysis would suggest that we would never get high speed train going through North Dakota. Yeah. I mean, so it'd be it'd be a few lines, really. I think. Uh, yeah, it'd be a kind few kind of like lines. an I-20 type one. Well, I mean, it's not even an I-20. I mean, even then, they cannot, connecting Florence, South Carolina, to El, El, El Paso. Yeah, I mean, I just can't imagine why anyone <laughs> would want to do a high-speed rail. Now, with that being said, from maybe Washington up to Boston, if they can figure out a way to expropriate, yeah, that would be the. Be the Correct, correct term, expropriate the land from the landowners to put up a high a high rail, uh, high-speed rail, that's fine. In California, they've tried to do it and just absolutely spent billions of dollars for no real And land. failed pretty and, miserably from what, what I've picked so up on. So the problem with high-speed rail is someone has to build it. Yeah. And who is going to build it? And, and really, given property prices, where it would be the most effective and most cost, I mean, where there'd be the best benefit to society. Yeah. It'd be so cost prohibitive to buy uh, to buy the land and implement it that no p- private company could do it. So it'd be up to the government to do so. Yeah. And then, is it really? I mean, with the budgets where they are now, would that make a lot of sense? No, I don't think so. So just overall, so you know, a decrease in air travel. Uh, okay, I don't necessarily know chemtrails. People talk about chemtrails up in the air, and that's what that's the exhaust that flights let out, planes let out. I'm not exactly sure what the overall impact of the economy that is. But that is something that you would not be willing to give up. No. 
Africa. Here comes the third one, that you know, another one that people say that we should reduce um, is central air and heat, uh, namely refrigeration and uh, or air conditioning and uh, also your furnace. Sam, would you be willing to cut back your furnace during the winter and turn up the uh, thermostat uh, during the summertime? That is a hard no for me. I mean, we live in <laughs> Alabama, of all places, so. <laughs> now, I will tell you. I mean, that, is, that is one defining invention that we have that differs us from 100 years ago, 150 years ago, mm-hmm. is being able to be comfortable in your house when it's hot and cold. Well, and, I, I will tell you, this is one where I might be willing to do my part a little bit but within reason of course i i I don't want to be a fanatic or what have you but if all of a sudden if the powers that be could prove to me that we could combat climate change by terminating my thermostat during the summertime from 71 to 73 i might be willing to do something like that or from in the wintertime from 69 to 67 i might be willing to do something like that However, they would sit there and say, you can't run your air conditioner. I'm going, wait a second. Hold on, Kimo. It's a little far. That's a little bit far. We're saying that we uh, have to turn your uh, furnace back down to 60. But hey there, pal, governor, let's calm down here. Yeah. So that is something where I might, if that sounds like an equivocation, I guess it kind of is, that might be one thing that I'd be willing to give on. You know, everybody kind of has things that they're willing to splurge on or willing to, they're fine spending that portion of their money there. And I remember... Uh, living in my parents' house, I'd always want my AC real cold or real hot, depending on the season. <laughs> yeah, sure. And they always said, well, once you get in your own house and start paying those bills, you're not going to want that. But found that not to be the case. I like it <laughs> I like it cold in the summer, and I like it warm in the winter. And I'm willing to pay that extra. Well, well, that's you know, one of the areas for me that makes sense, and I'm comfortable spending a little extra than I really needed to. And the thing about that is, this is where the public service commissions could actually alter your behavior if the government ever did get serious about central air and heat being, you know, one of the drivers of climate change. Uh, if all of a sudden you had to pay more, significantly more, to keep your house at, say, 70 during the summertime, if you had to pay pay significantly more, you would probably turn it back up to 72, 73, more than likely. Depends how much they're hiking it. <laughs> well, I mean, exactly. So that's one of those ones, you know, and in Europe, people drive less for a lot of reasons. One, population density, then also gasoline costs yeah, that much more. Yeah, very expensive. So in the United States, there are certain things that the government can do if they want to drive this behavior. As one public service commission can say the utilities charge as much as you want, we won't stop you. And then also jack up uh, gasoline prices. What kind of revolt would that lead to? Pretty big one. <laughs> <laughs> kind of reminds me of the yellow vest protest. Part of that was a gas tax, wasn't it? That's how it started. So there you the, go. So the thing about it is it's all well and good. I guess maybe with all this type of stuff, it's all well and good for other people to tell you what you should give up. But ultimately, it comes down to you as a consumer. What would you truly be willing to give up without any change in price? And I think there might be some of us out there that would be willing to do some of this. But ultimately a huge driver of our decisions as consumers and what we would be willing to give up or take on has everything to do with our pocketbook. Yeah. I'll give you one example I can think of where I might, um, or I really kind of already have, is just paper versus plastic. I mean, I, I'll, I'll get paper now. I don't, I don't mind it. It's no real cost to me. Um, doesn't really bother me either way, but I guess that's a little better. Well, this then does drive me to the last thing I'm going to ask you, whether or not you'd be willing to give up or reduce or diminish in some form or fashion. 
you, unless you've been in a cave uh, really over the last several uh, weeks or if not month or so, you probably have read something online about the vast amount of plastic waste that is in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. I don't know how it all gets there. <laughs> it's just very bizarre to me that there is a how many square miles of plastic floating around in the, in the Pacific Ocean? It's like a country almost. Yeah, something like that. And people say it stems from places like Sri Lanka and whatnot. I don't know how Sri Lanka can produce all these bottles, but apparently I, people say they import them. I, I don't know. Would you, Sam, be willing to cut back on your consumption of bottled water and, and sports drinks or whatnot, or encourage the Coca-Cola company to, uh, or whatever water company, to develop more economically friendly or, or, or yeah. environmentally friendly containers to in which to serve I, their products. I'd say where I'm at right now is about as far as I'm going to go. Um, I mean, you know, there's times where it's, okay, I want a plastic water bottle so I can drink it and throw it away and not have to worry yeah. about it. Um, but in general, I mean, yeah, I use a lot of reusable things, lots of, I mean, metal Yeti tumbler type cups and yeah. um, metal water bottles to... But, yeah, I don't see myself going much further than that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'll occasionally drink a water bottle during the, during the day, but at the house I generally drink a stadium cup's worth of water um, just straight out of the tap. Right. And that is one one area I think maybe consumers could push back on, on bottlers saying come up with something a little bit more environmentally friendly or, or what have you, as opposed to the plastic bottles. The problem with it is and I always get this kick when I see people at the, at the grocery store coming in with their, with their paper sacks as opposed to little plastic ones that they, that they, that they give you for right. free. I have read, and this is going to be hard for some people to believe, it requires far more energy to create the, the paper bags than it does the plastic bags. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, a couple hundred uses or something. Yeah, it's not, it's, frankly, it's not even close. So those paper bags, strangely enough, from what I've read, I actually have damaged the environment more than, yeah. more, than, more than the plastic bags. So for every action, there's a, for every action, there's a reaction, and there's a far more to it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Sam, and you answered the questions kind of the way that I thought you would, and the way I think most people really would. You know, at the end of the day, we don't really personally want to give up a whole bunch. Yeah. You know, as consumers, there might be some out there, but the, for the vast majority of us, we don't really want to give up a whole bunch. Sure. But we would love it if other people gave stuff up. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of it is kind of goes back to tragedy of the commons. You know, yeah. no one really um, taking much of the blame for anything that happens. I mean, if I knew my responsibility, what my share of whatever climate change people want to want to call it is, um, maybe that would change my opinion a little bit. But I love that. It's very good. So I would tell you this. Consumers aren't going to just change their, their patterns overnight. We can talk about what we'd be willing to give up and what we wouldn't be willing to give up. And the truth is we probably wouldn't be willing to give up too much unless it became too expensive for us. Yeah. Unless it started really eating into our pocketbook. So all this stuff that Washington, Montgomery, wherever your state capital is, are talking about climate change, it's meaningless until all of a sudden this stuff becomes too expensive for us. So if we're serious about climate change and we want people to start giving things up, we can start allowing our utilities to charge a lot more money for central air. Or pass the Green New Deal. Or you pass the Green New Deal. <laughs> or, or, you know, um, you know, they put huge you know, gasoline taxes on. Yeah. And that, that will change consumption patterns. All these would be very politically unpopular and I think very, very difficult to pass. But without that sort of, without that sort of action out of government, I don't think consumers by themselves are going to do much of anything in order to change, you know, change uh, consumption patterns to combat climate change. Completely agree. 
All right. Well, with that, we aren't really trading perspectives here today. And maybe we found out what we would or wouldn't give up. I would argue, and I think Sam would agree, that uh, most consumers probably aren't willing to give up too much unless they're economically forced to do so. Yeah. Yeah, they're probably already at about where they would yeah. go. Yeah, I mean, no one really wants to see the rivers set on fire or no. the air filled with, with filth. Uh, they just say, as you mentioned, the tragedy of the commons. It's perfect. So with that, thanks for listening. We love to hear from you all. So if you have any questions or comments, please let us know. Also, I mean, please follow me and send in what you'd be willing to give up to combat climate change. We'd be interested in that. You can send us an email to tradingperspectives at oakworthcapital.com, or you can leave us a review on the podcast outlet of your choice. If you are interested in hearing more of what we have to say or reading how we think, you can always check out our blog, Common Sense, at oakworthcapital.com. With that, Sam, I'm kind of out of fresh ideas here today. That's all I got. (laughs) You have anything else? Nope. All right. Y'all take care.